0: It's an era of change, of ideals and cultures constantly colliding. We need brave people who will find the way of hope in the chaos, who will elevate truth in their speech and activate reform in their lives. Lee Sloan welcomes you to this Brave Nation.
1: All right, well, Dub Alexander, I have him back today for the podcast Um you got another go at it, Dub. <laughs> we enjoyed uh-huh. it. Um, and Dub is the founder of the School of Kingdom, correct? Yes. 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 And um, so, so you know, there's so much uncertainty today, and you know, with what we look at on the news and what we, um, even hearing from our faith leaders and stuff like that. I thought it would be really great to delve a little bit into your story, and to talk about, you know. What is truth? And I know you have a very unique story. You have a very unique commitment to truth, I think, because of what you've been through in your past. Um, from what I understand, you were actually, you grew up in a cult, right?
0: I, we did spend several years in a cult. Yes. yes. When I was a, a young man.
1: Right. <laughs> and so I think, I just think it would be interesting to hear some of that story and, um, and just kind of, you know, what, even what is a cult? What do you need to look out for those types of things? So before I get a two head of myself, um, just tell us a little bit about your early years in that experience.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I was born to a couple of ex-hippies in uh, the early 80s, and uh, they had, you know, come out of the hippie movement, and they were just kind of in this weird spot where they were just anti-establishment everything. And so they were anti-organized government, organized education, organized medicine, and just really seclusionary in nature. Um, I'm number five out of 10 kids. We were all, uh, I was the first one that was born at home. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the rest of them were as well because my parents just hated uh, medicine and hospitals and all that organized medicine.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, we were all homeschooled. And like so,
1: <laughs> let's say that again. They just like disorganization pretty much, right?
0: It, it's true, right? They're winging it, doing it all on their own, right? And uh, to add to that oddness, uh, we were super poor and we grew up in South Oak Cliff, which is inner city Dallas. Uh, we were the only white family for seven years of my life. We were on the Hispanic side of town. And after that, we moved to the black side of town. And uh, we were just always kind of the oddball out family. Um First of all, because of our our color, and then uh, you know we're homeschooled, and we're just kind of weird anyway, you know. So it was always like this uh, thing where I just really wanted to 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 fit in, or just be able to. I was always curious about people and their lives, and I love to connect with people. I'm very social by nature, but I was always like a little bit hamstrung in that uh, arena. But uh, you know, they were atheists. They told us there was no God, and so that was kind of the paradigm that we grew up in. Uh, But the first time I remember, like cognitively connecting with god uh i was let's see at that time i was 6 years old and we had gone to my grandfather's house for thanksgiving and he was a old old time uh church of christ preacher and mm-hmm. so he would say grace over the food and he was like kind of a flowery prayer you know like uh, our gracious heavenly father beaming down from the realms of radiant glory you know that type of thing and i was always like kind of captured because i loved my grandpa and i knew he was authentic and so I was like, maybe there is a God. And so the first prayer I remember praying, uh, you know, I was always wanting to hedge my bets. And I was like, uh, I was like, God, if you're real, I'm on your side. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that's like the first time I connected with the Lord. Um, when I was 11, my family met another extremely large, ill-adjusted to society, seclusionary homeschooled family named the Scots. And um, they had an 11-year-old son who uh, I became good friends with. And he was concerned about my salvation and stuff to use the Nacho Libre quote. And, uh, but he, you you know, he had only been trained in the kind of modern American evangelical bad news gospel presentation. Right. And so he opens the conversation with, Hey man, have you ever heard about hell? I was like, no. And so he he tells me about hell. And he's like, it's like this lake of fire and you're, you're like falling forever and you're burning and there's worms eating you from the inside out. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, how did I get myself in this predicament? Like, I had no idea any of this was a thing. Any of this was going on. I had no idea I was headed there. And he's like, but if you ask Jesus to be your savior, then when you die, you go to heaven. I was like, well, what's heaven? And he, he pointed up in the sky and he was like, well, it's up there. And you like sit on a cloud and sing to God all day. I was like, all day? He was like, all day. I was like, for how long? <laughs> he was like, forever. I'm an 11 year old boy. I was like, that doesn't sound a whole lot better in hell, but I guess it's a little better. So I guess I'd choose that, you know? And so that's how I got saved. But the issue with that style of evangelism is that it introduces you to an angry God who's mad at you about sin, looking to punish somebody and you better cash in on the blood of the son that I guess he murdered so that he can stand you, right? And so we definitely need a lot of reformation in the way that we evangelize people, right? Jesus said, go and share the good news, which is, hey, you came from the heart of a good, kind, loving Heavenly Father. You have an identity as a royal son or daughter. You're a king or queen on this earth. He's got a purpose and a destiny for you. And Mm -hmm. he's inviting you into a relationship to discover all of those things. And so I really have a heart to see evangelism reformed in that direction and start sharing the good news because that's attractive, you know?
1: Actually good. All right.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, but I came in through the bad news. So now I've got, I've got weird parents. I've got uh, a strange lifestyle. I've got an angry God, right. That like, so I'm like cool with Jesus, but I do want nothing to do with father God. Right. Um, cause I'm thinking, you know, if he really, like, if he wasn't fooled by the blood of Jesus and he really knew what I was like, he'd want to throw me in hell, you know? And so <clears throat> that's kind of my entry into, um, into just being saved. You know, I had no idea what the kingdom was or anything like that. And so this family, they went to a a cult down in Waco, Texas, not the Branch Davidians, uh, but same city, same time, oddly enough. And uh, uh, this cult at the time was called Koinonia Christian Fellowship. And it's now called Heritage Homestead. They've got a website, you can check it out, but they change their name every time they get in trouble with the law. It's kind of their M.O., and so, at the time, there was about 600 of them, and they lived on this commune on the Brazos River. And it was kind of like an amish style cult. Like, they all, like, pretended to live off the land, like, plowing with horses. And they all had, like, 87 kids with biblical names. And, like, they were trying to make ankles sexy again. So, like, all the girls had, like, long dresses, couldn't cut their hair. And it was just, like, it was so strange. And uh, the way that they proselytize is they have a craft fair to this day. Uh, I just went to the last one, actually, because I'm writing my book and wanted to get refreshed. But uh, they have a craft fair the weekend of Thanksgiving every year. And they, you know, they sell like their Amishy stuff like beeswax and wool and pottery and stuff. And it's huge, like thousands of people go out to it. And uh, there are these guys called watchers that are looking for large, ill-adjusted to society homeschool families, right? Because that's their, like, target audience. Because this this cult is made up, like I said at the time, 600 people that were, like, ex-Amish, ex-Mennonite, ex-Fundamental Baptist, ex-UPC. So, like, if you could get all the most uptight people together in one place, they pulled it off. They did it. And so <laughs> it's, like, it's super, super crazy. But mm-hmm. so our watcher, uh, his name was Curtis Brown. And he attached himself to our family and kind of took us on like a behind the scenes tour. And I'm like in, in shock right now because I grow up, I'm growing up in South Oak cliff. Like you hear gunshots all the time. There's gangs, you see drug deals going down, there's prostitutes, you know, in the alleys like, and now I'm like on this farm talking to this <laughs> dude. Who's like driving us around in a wagon being pulled by a horse. Right. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what is happening? It's like super weird. Yeah. So once if if they decide they like you from that point, then they begin to invite you to what they call Friday night meetings, which is like a life group or a cell group is kind of how we would understand it. Uh, And they do this because their Sunday morning meeting is closed to everybody except covenant members, which is like the first clue. It's a cult, right? Like if you're not allowed to go to the meeting, then something sketchy is going on, right? And so for a couple of years now, we start driving down to Waco on Friday. So like Sunday through Thursday, I'm just like trying to sneak out of the house and go play basketball and rap with my friends. Like that's all I want to do. Um, on the weekends, we're we're driving down to Waco and I'm like picking up sweet potatoes behind a horse or like tossing hay with a pitchfork up to Jedediah who's standing on the top of the wagon, you know, like super weird. Now, like my sisters, they have to like start wearing the long dresses, they can't get their hair. So, back home, like my friends are riding by on bicycles, they start calling us the little house on the prairie house, right? So, like little house on the prairie. I'm like, shut up, Jamal, I didn't choose this life. Like I I can't help what's going on here, you know? So, my whole life becomes like that Weird Al Yankovic Amish Paradise song. Like if you remix those oh, yeah. uh, Gangster Paradise, like this is like the theme, theme song of my life now. It's super weird. And uh, so the co-leaders, they give us Bibles, but we're instructed not to read them until they've read that part with us and explain to us what it means. Right. Mm-hmm. Clue number two, red flag cult situation, right? But I'm the rebellious son. And so I would hide in the closet and I would read the Bible. And uh, I read the whole Bible when I was 11 and several times after that. And what that did was it acquainted me on some level. It established me in a relationship with truth where I couldn't tell you what the truth was for sure, but I dang sure knew when something that was not the truth was presented to me. Yeah. And so as as my parents kept getting indoctrinated in this thing and, you know, we're learning, you know, like God's cool with straw hats, but felt hats are a sin. And like, if your boots too pointy, like that'll invoke the wrath of God. And like, this is what worldly is. And like, it's like, you're not allowed to have any electronics. You've got no access to like media. It's all isolation, right? And so, you know, a key for your listeners is that the religion isolates, but the kingdom infiltrates. And so when you catch the kingdom, you realize, oh, we are the salt and the light. We're supposed to go into the world that God actually loves and bring reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever you're in religion, it's all about isolation. It's all about retreating from the world. It's about, you know, the, the few holy people gathering together, the remnant, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, funny enough, if you think about all forms of religion, the more religious they get, the more of the woman they cover up and the more they tell her to be quiet. Wow. And so that's like exactly what's going on here.
1: Wow.
0: And so um it just keeps get, keeps getting weirder and weirder like uh and like we're like burning stuff like oh so Tonka apparently you remember the Tonka trucks back in the day like these little toys and oh but Tonka is the name of a Native American god so the trucks are demon possessed so we had to like burn the Tonka trucks I'm like this is just out of control you know. Yeah. And uh it's just getting super weird and I'm not I'm like not buying it and uh so like they'd wake me up shine bright lights in my face like screaming scriptures at me trying to indoctrinate me and i would get beat and have to like quote you know in proverbs where it says the rebellious son will have his eyes picked out by the ravens in the valley you know in between hits hits and stuff it's like way out of control Mm -hmm. and uh so we go there for a few years and then they give my parents the test over the constitution of the church so if you pass the test of the constitution of the church Then you become a covenant member and then you move down to the commune. Mm -hmm. And um, so my parents take the test and they fail, or at least that's what they're told. Now that I'm older and like when I went back, I was like, oh, that's just like their screening process and they're just deciding who they want and who they don't. Right. Mm -hmm. So apparently they decided they didn't want my parents. So uh, we get excommunicated. And so, um, but my dad's mama didn't raise no quitter. And so he raises up a bunch of other losers that got excommunicated and starts his own cult. So so now my dad's a cult leader, right? Which is always a great intro. That's usually what I lead with uh, when I'm speaking places, but uh, it really sets people at ease. <laughs> so my dad's a cult leader. Things just keep getting more abusive, more isolated, more controlling, And uh, I run away from home twice when I'm 15, get brought back, you know, the cops and then uh, run away when I'm 16. I find out, oh, I can be legally emancipated. So I'm like, man, let's do that. So legally emancipate myself from my parents, uh, ended up taking my parents to court to try to get my little brothers and sisters out. Uh, Went to court for a long time and the judge finally ruled in favor of my parents based on freedom of religion and lack of uh, uh, visual audio. And evidence of what had gone on. Like you realize like we're not allowed to have cameras or anything electronic, right? Like it was ridiculous. But anyway, uh, so from there, I ended up meeting a family called the Urquhart's who are from up here in Amarillo. They were going to uh, school at Dallas Baptist University Mm -hmm. and uh, they were youth pastors, ended up taking me in, became my family. My daughter's named after her and uh, just really, really saved my life because I was like so full of of bitterness and unforgiveness and really hatred, uh, for my parents. I was like super jacked up. And so they held walk me through that. And, you know, the Baptist church, like it it was like super dead, you know, but it was super safe too. Right. So I was like, Hey man, you know, I can handle three hymns and uh, three points in a poem. You know what I mean? Like at least everybody here is nice. You know what I mean? So, uh, that was a really good spot of healing for me. And, uh, you know, Mark was, you know, he's like my, my hero, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to be a youth pastor too. So, I ended up going to a small independent uh, Baptist Bible college in the Dallas area, and that wasn't a real great fit either uh, because I had that thing of like when something's presented to me that's not true, I question it, you know, and so I'd always get sent to the president's office and uh, all that. So uh, eventually I was like, you know, I'm just going to do music. And so I moved up to Amarillo, started doing an internship, playing worship for Mark's youth group. I had a rock band on the side and, uh, you know, we were touring, putting out CDs, just doing the hustle uh, in the music scene. And uh, that was kind of my life for, uh, for many years. And then uh, when I turned 30, I was at by that time, i had shifted kind of into like the non-denominational seeker-friendly, light charismatic style church. And so I started getting around like some healthy prophetic and uh, I began to learn, oh, this is what it's like when God is speaking to me. And I and then I began to hear Holy Spirit every day. He would ask me, what is the kingdom? I was like, well, I don't know. They didn't teach me that in Bible college, you know? And uh, so I began to ask people and some people were like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's the church. And I was like, man, I, I know the church is a part of the kingdom, but I don't think that's what I'm looking for. And they, well, it's the family of God. And I'm like, well, I think that's true too, but I'm just not satisfied with those explanations. And um, through a long turn of events, I eventually got introduced to Miles Monroe's teaching, Rediscovering the Kingdom. And that answered all of my questions. And his working definition of the kingdom that I now operate from is that the kingdom is the extension of the heart and the authority of God from the unseen realm into the seen realm through you and I. I'll say that again, that the kingdom is the extension of the heart and the authority of God. From the unseen realm into the seen realm through you and I, yeah. and so I just really began to consume everything that I could about the kingdom. And uh, a few years into that pursuit of the kingdom, uh, a prophet came to the church that I was at, and he, he called me out. And he said, "Dub, God is remantling you for government." And at this time, I was I was like, "Well, I, you know, I think I'll just take the kingdom into the arts and entertainment realm. I've still got some favor connections there, etc." Uh, but when he said that. I was like, you know, I'm up for it. Like, I've never had like an intentional conversation with a government official. I don't really know anything about government, but I'm down. And so I began to just talk with the Lord about that. And, and what the Lord revealed to me, he was like, Dub, you you have caught that the kingdom is a government. For unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That mm-hmm. Jesus didn't come to bring a religion. Jesus came to bring a government. And he was like, you have familiarized yourself with my government. And so it doesn't matter whatever man's government is brought to you, just shift it to align with my way of doing government. And I was like, oh, I'm actually a little more equipped for this than I thought. And so uh, a couple of months later, that prophet called me. He serves as a prophet to the first family in Uganda. He said, hey, I'm going to Uganda, get your passports. I want you to go with me. And so at the time, I had a, a 79 Monte Carlo lowrider, had to sell it and buy suits. And uh, so I got my passports, got my suits, and uh, went over there to Uganda. And they love him over there, rolled out the red carpet, Presidents escorts back and forth. And and so I find myself sitting at tables with the Minister of Tourism, Minister of Agriculture, you know, and, and hearing these governmental conversations. And it, it did a few things. Number one, it began to radically expand my worldview because we as Americans, we have a very, uh, I would dare say selfish worldview because we're so self-sufficient. Like it doesn't really matter what goes on in another country because we're able to handle ourselves. But here I'm hearing oh, if Tanzania does this, this is going to affect us here. And if Rwanda passes this, then this, is. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how nations work together. i had never caught that before. And
1: yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Backing up a little bit, I want to, I wondered about your parents. Like, don't you think there's people pendulum swing, right? So I kind of wonder where did your parents come from that caused them to be so anti-organization?
0: Mm, that's a really good question. So, I think that a uh, part of it had to do with the really strict church of Christ upbringing on my mother's side. Um, my father's side was kind of more like Christmas, Easter Baptists, you know? Um, but I think that m- more so it was more like that, that hippie movement of just like, Hey, peace, love, man. Right. Government is the devil. Like we all just need to get along. I think that got really twisted and perverted along the way into some really isolationist weirdness. That's yeah. kind of my read at least.
1: And it seems like, I feel like when people first get saved or they stay kind of a baby Christian, they they don't necessarily. Sometimes they want to go towards something that has. It's weird because they went, they didn't want any structure, but then they had a really rigid structure when they they were throwing off one form for another. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of um, you know immature Christians tend to do that when they feel unsafe or when they feel you know like like they don't have anything to grasp onto. And I kind of wonder if people are doing that now you know, they're like, I, I want to escape the world. I want to escape all the craziness going on. So just give me something to tell me what to do. Right.
0: <laughs> wow. That's really good insight. I like that.
1: There's substance and then there's form. Right. And mm. so it feels like, you know, instead of just casting off all structure, we need to find the substance in it. Right. Cause we yeah. like what you're saying, the governmental system, they are, they are structures that we operate in, but we just we don't want it to be um, an empty, you know, an empty structure with no substance in it. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I think that the perversion of discipline is control, and the perversion of freedom is independence. Where the maturation of freedom is liberty, right? Mm. And so, um, freedom should grow into liberty, which is the ability to choose who you partner with. Whereas if you are coming from a place of freedom and get damaged, you shift into independence, which is I don't need anybody and you mm-hmm. shift into isolation. And so the same with that discipline and control thing, you know, uh, discipline is definitely a kingdom principle, but control is a, a, a principle of the system of darkness. Mm-hmm. And so because people haven't been introduced into how to instill a proper disciplinary system within themselves, They either go completely lawless or they fall under control because something in them knows they need, they need something, some sort of boundary.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it seems like I, I'm seeing a lot of people get out of regular church structures right now, you know, like they don't, they still consider themselves Christians and they still care about the body of Christ, but maybe they're leaving churches because they're not seeing the point in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, how how that's going to shift for people, like if they're going to find a structure, if they're going to find something, a way to implement their kingdom life, you know, even if it looks different.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think they will, because I see Reformation coming to the church. The issue with the, the most of the church up until this point was the church thought the church was the kingdom. And so they thought the purpose of the people was to serve the church and serve the vision of the church when actually the church is the equipping point for the advancement of the kingdom by the people, the church should be serving the people. And so I think as, as church reformation occurs and we shift from a man or woman with a vision and telling people, Hey, your purpose is to serve this vision of this church into, Oh, the vision of this church is to serve you in advancing the kingdom. I think once that shift takes place, people will really plug into that healthy system and it'll be amazing.
1: Yeah. And I know you have, you have a do you have a church or do you just, you have a ministry that, that happens? I mean, how do you see what you do?
0: Yeah. So I sit on the, the leadership team of a church. There's uh five of us leaders. We're all volunteer mm-hmm. and uh, we just rotate out who's leading the service, you know, and, and we don't have a whole lot of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different every week, but it's very purposeful. The whole reason that Kingdom Resource Center exists is to equip prophetic kingdom reformers uh, to know their identity, know their purpose and know their calling so that they can move into their destiny. So yeah. everybody that comes, it's a small church, you know, but everybody that comes, they know who they are. They know what mountain they're called to. And we're strategizing together for them to infiltrate that sphere of influence to advance the kingdom.
1: So they're really kind of an apostolic equipping center.
0: Yeah, and I would say so. Together.
1: Yeah. So you're able to do your ministry alongside whatever's going on there. Yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah. School of Kingdom is completely a standalone from that, Uh, but they do benefit each other, you know, just because it's all community of the same type of people. Uh, So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you did kind of tell us some of the telltale signs of a cult. And I know, I know there's kind of a distinction between like somebody who just has bad theology and a cult. Like, what would you say those, that distinction is?
0: Yeah, for me, you know, um, I'm sure I still have some theology that's off, even though I would consider myself a, an amateur theologian, you know, and I have a high value for theology. So there's definitely room for grace for people having, having poor theology. But I think, you know, uh, to me, the signs of a cult one is, is where you pull people out of society and out of relationship with people. Uh, they begin dictating rules as to who you are allowed to have contact with, you know, um, they there's you know a stringent set of rules that are in place that if you break those rules that there are heavy consequences and you know it's all based on a structure of fear a fear of uh, being rejected a fear of punishment all of those things and so where is the line where something becomes a cult versus just some terrible theology and a in a you know a belief system that really needs some reformation and what's a cult I think it's probably a pretty blurry line but I'd say those are definitely some telltale signs
1: yeah. Cause you know, I think right now we have a lot of disunity in the church or, you know, people saying, oh, you know, you're, (laughs) you're off the deep end, you're wrong and and people fighting about those types of things. And then, you know, I know we want to bring the church together. Like we want to actually say, okay, you recognize Jesus. Like, can we partner together in some way? How do we actually build toward unity and also be aware of theological differences?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I think that uh, honor has to be established. That's that's the primary move towards seeing something like that happen. And, and even also understanding like some churches are called to different things and some denominations are called to different things and being able to honor what someone is doing, even when there's not a partnership possibility there, I believe is still kingdom, you know, mm-hmm. and so not forcing relationship for the sake of relationship, um, but choosing to recognize where true chemistry, where true calling, uh, where true connection overlap, and then, you know, being intentional in those areas and then just letting the others be where they be at.
1: (laughs) So what, how do you notice, uh, what do you notice when people come out of something like a cult type situation, what do they begin to experience as they access kingdom?
0: Yeah. So I think number one, their trust button is usually broken. And so it's it's super important to begin to build rapport uh, with them and to, to build trust with them uh, intentionally because they're going to need a lot of healing in that arena before they're ever going to be able to receive truth from you. So trust over truth uh, should be kind of the progression that you go with them. And then I think uh, there's also always a little bit of is this too good to be true, you know, that goes on. Um, because it's so much love, and it's so much freedom, and it's so much purpose, and and all these good things, and so uh, it's important for them to have experiences and encounters uh, as they are he- receiving the revelation, in order for transformation to truly take place.
1: Yeah, and even people who haven't been a part of a so-called cult, they can still have those trust buttons being pushed in the, in the church, you know, and, and having hurts there where they ha- they're having to heal from you know, maybe over, overbearing leadership or things like that, you know, yeah. where we all have kind of some, some extent of damage <laughs> that's happened there where we yeah. need to relearn how to do relationships.
0: This is so true.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think
0: the covering model in the church has been very detrimental. Wow. Uh, when scripture clearly says that the, the prophet and the apostle are the foundations that everything is built upon. And so that's one of the things I love about Dano and, and some other healthy kingdom prophets and apostles that I know is that they're not looking to be anybody's covering. I'm not looking to be anybody's covering. That sounds exhausting for Great. me to be your covering, but I'm willing to be a foundation that you can use as a launching pad to be deployed into your purpose and destiny. And so I think that as the church shifts from a co- covering model to a foundation model, it's going to be really beneficial as well.
1: well I hope you enjoy Dub Alexander. I'm fascinated and inspired by his journey. You can find more of him at schoolofkingdom.com. He's got some great resources there. And there are a few more interesting parts of our conversation that you can find over on my Brave Nation Circle subscription platform. For example, we get into why heresy hunters in- exist and what to think about them. It's pretty fun. On Brave Nation Circle, you can find many of our uncut episodes in video form and engage with us on a more personal level just go to leesloan.com and click on the Brave Nation tab. In addition to the content you'll find there, we also have other events both locally and online. So when you sign up, you'll receive updates on those. Looking forward to our next Brave Conversation.